0: Welcome to the Sport Mind podcast series, where I sit down with world leading guests and unlock the secrets to mental strength in sports. Today, before you dive into the episode, I have something special for all listeners. Are you struggling with self doubt, overwhelmed by performance anxiety, battling inconsistency, or facing fear of failure in your sport? Are you looking to overcome these obstacles and conquer the mental game? Well, I've got just the toolkit for you. An ebook I wrote called Overcoming the Top 10 Mental Obstacles in Sport which you can get today completely free of charge. This comprehensive ebook is a treasure trove of practical and actionable strategies tailored for athletes who want to unblock the most common mental obstacles. Each chapter offers digestible advice, providing immediate tools you can apply to enhance your mental game. Readers have been raving about the insights and the transformations they've experienced with this guide. Teresa from California emailed recently saying, your guide is brilliantly helpful. I've just been getting into it and I'm truly excited to use it to help with the obstacles I face regularly. I wrote this ebook to be concise, punchy, and most importantly, practical for immediate application. And the best part, it's completely free. A token of your commitment to your mental and athletic growth. So click on the link in the show notes right now to grab your copy of Overcoming the Top 10 Mental Obstacles in Sport or simply visit the SportMind Hub by Googling SportMind Hub. Equip yourself today with the knowledge and tools to face those mental challenges head on. Now, let's jump into today's episode and get ready to elevate your mental game to the next level. Hello ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and welcome to your next installment of the podcast series. Today I have on the show Laura Rushworth. I really enjoyed recording this episode as it was a departure from the norm for me and I was a keen and eager student listening to what Laura had to say and the amazing work she is doing in the field of selective mutism in young people. An anxiety disorder I only became familiar with very recently but felt as a coach and an influencer of young people, this was an important conversation to have. Our hope by recording this episode was to bring to light this anxiety disorder to a sporting audience both for parents and coaches, and where to find help and support on the matter. Laura has worked for Confident Children since 2019 as a selective mutism practitioner, providing support for children with selective mutism in schools and online. Laura previously worked in a primary school as a specialist speech, language, and communication practitioner. It was during her eight years in this role that she discovered her passion for helping children overcome their anxieties around talking. Laura is also a mum of two girls, In the show, we talk about the physical debilitating factors around selective mutism, what it is, what it isn't, and the misconceptions. As mentioned, Confident Children is the company Laura works for, and we discuss the amazing work and the positive influence they are having on young people's lives on a daily basis. How selective mutism presents itself and why? The fight, flight, freeze response? How certain character traits, such as perfectionism, fear of mistakes, fear of judgment, and being highly sensitive, can all lend themselves to this anxiety disorder. Laura gives some amazing tips and tools to use right away as parents or as a coach. This episode only really scratches the surface and it is not intended to be the antidote for those who have been affected or know anyone that may be showing signs of this anxiety disorder. So please do contact Confident Children on www.confidentchildren.co.uk for further information please also do forward this podcast episode and share it far and wide as it would be great to get this message out more to the masses and raise the awareness. So without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Laura Rushworth. Laura Rushworth, welcome to the next episode of the podcast here. It's really cool you are joining me today. We go way back. We've known each other for quite a few years, but we're going to dive into a really cool topic and I'm super into the deep end today. But listen, a great place to always kick off is if you wouldn't mind giving a brief introduction to yourself and the work you are currently undertaking.
1: Yeah, thanks, Jesse. And thank you for having me on here. I'm super excited. Um, so yeah, I'm Laura Rushworth and I work for confidentchildren.co.uk, founded by the amazing Lucy Nathanson. And we support as a team of therapists, a uh, children with selective mutism. Mm.
0: And um, this is quite recent for you, isn't it? Like you got into this field of work relatively recently. And I think for context, feel free to share as much or as little as you want. But a bit of your background that brought you to this point in your career now.
1: Sure, sure. So um, yeah, I've been working uh, with confident children for several years now, um, and since two thousand and nineteen. Um, I started actually as a teacher myself. Um, and in my early teaching years, I got glandular fever, mm. uh, which led to chronic fatigue, or ME as some people know it by, which really um, affected me uh, very physically. I was unable to do even the most basic things for quite a few years. Um, mm. So I had to really reevaluate what I was doing. I uh, wanted to get back to work so desperately, um, really love working with children. Um, so I retrained uh, in speech and language and then I was able to start working with small groups of children which suited my energy levels a lot better and I was able to make a an impact um working with fewer children um, which nice. was what was so important to me mm. uh, and then I um was asked to work with a child um, I was back in school uh, and asked to work with a child who was very chatty at home Um, but wasn't able to speak in school. And that really is where my interest and passion for working with children with selective mutism began.
0: Nice. And listen, I, I knew you around about that time. I obviously know Phil, your husband really well. So shout out to Phil. Uh, hopefully yeah. you'll be enjoying listening <laughs> to this. Um, Phil, and, Phil and I go way back in the squash world. Uh, we did our high level coaching badges together. Um, and yeah, I remember, you know, having loads of conversation with Phil about, about your struggles and difficulties and, and it was hard on all of you. So, you know, incredible, like where you're at right now, what you've mm. done, how you found a big passion a big purpose and even before we started recording when we started speaking about the subject you could see you just you 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 were lighting up when you were talking about the positive oh, benefits yeah. you can have on this and we're definitely going to unpack maybe some of your stories obviously we wouldn't have to mention any names or anything but just some of your experiences <laughs> with selective yeah. mutism um so As I said, I am super out of my depth here and this is exactly why we should be having this conversation. So you can use me as a bit of a practicing board, a bit of a, (laughs) just listen, speak to me like I am, like a nice young child. So selective mutism, Mm -hmm. um, what is it and what are the misconceptions around it?
1: Okay, so selective mutism is an anxiety disorder. It's essentially a fear or phobia of talking in some situations and with some people. It's very much person and place dependent. So children who are typically very chatty at home are unable to speak in other situations, um, most commonly in school, um, also out in public uh, with certain family members and friends. Mm -hmm. Every child has sort of a different profile of where they feel comfortable. Um, So, yeah, the misconceptions, um, and there's many, but uh it's not rudeness it's not shyness it's not that children are choosing when they can and cannot talk mm-hmm. um, it's not like they're selecting which the name unhelpfully might suggest to some people um but it's very much uh, part of the whole fight flight and freeze response and it's the freeze element um that we're looking at here so when the body feels under threat Mm-hmm. then they experience a freeze response there's no danger around talking but the body is responding as if the threat is real mm. so the muscles tense up uh, in the body and even in around the vocal cords um causing temporary um yeah t- uh, paralyzing the vocal cords temporarily wow
0: it's yeah and, and and we're obviously gonna take a bit of a deep dive around this and, and understand a bit more of the nuance around it and you know yeah selective mutism I remember you telling me that actually that the wording is not great is it it's it's mm-hmm. because it's it's actually not I'm kind of thinking that first kid that first child kid sorry I don't know what what, what would you prefer child or kid what what's the more appropriate
1: child, child is
0: probably better I have some, some I, I've got quite a few American clientele and, and they always say kids so I'm just like yeah. being used to that um so you were trained in language and speech therapy or you retrained in that you saw that first child with you know, did you know it was selective mutism at the time? So how did all that come up and how did you start to get into that?
1: That's really interesting as well. So I did have my suspicions of what it could be because my mum had been working in a school, I don't know, 30 years ago and came home with stories of working with a child who, again, wasn't talking in school. Uh, And I know that my mum was doing some things just... Intuitively, working with this child and mm-hmm. the excitement and reward at being able to help this child to be able to speak, so it was something that I was aware of. Um, and in my first, oh, in my PGCE year training, um, I would I was doing a day uh, in an early years uh, classroom, and mm-hmm. I was asked to support a child who wasn't speaking in school, and I I made such a great connection with this child. But I was there for just a day and then I had to move back into year six at the time. Mm-hmm. And it really, you know, it was such a short period of time. I was on my training, my placement, mm-hmm. and I really couldn't do what I wanted to do. Mm. And I made a promise to myself that if I came across a child who presented in this way again, I would really want to do more. Nice. And here I am.
0: <laughs> amazing, amazing. And that's
1: all we do now. That's all yeah. I do. You
0: know? So when you say you felt you connected with that child who was in school that wasn't talking again, I'm being really just kind of like base Mm -hmm. level here. How did you connect with him? If he's not talking in school, how did you connect with him? How does that then work?
1: Yeah. Again, it's um, largely at that point was instincts. um, And I, I I like to think I can, you know, I've worked with a lot of children over the years and connection is something I seem to be quite good at. (laughs) Um, So thinking back, I mean, Gosh, this was quite a few years ago now, but um, I removed the pressure to talk, so I didn't ask questions. I didn't put him on the spot. I made a lot of commentary-style interactions, so just commenting on things. I obviously saw what he was playing with at the time. I think it was dinosaurs, so I used my, you know, extensive knowledge of dinosaurs <laughs> <laughs> um, to, you know, connect with him around his interests. Uh, and then there was a home corner so i mean this was nursery uh yeah nursery age um mm-hmm. and they had a home corner um and he had his i was interacting with the with his peers and we were doing this silly thing where they were bringing me cups of tea and i said no sugar thank you and they kept bringing me and i was like oh it's got sugar in <laughs> so it was a lot of silliness lots of yeah sugar. yeah yeah and um, m- mistake making and just being daft getting things wrong mm-hmm. and he let out a laugh ah
0: oh, nice and
1: that was the first sound so when I talk earlier about the fact that the vocal cords are temporarily frozen, even sounds don't come out hmm. when, when the muscles are so tight. So, you know, we work with children who perhaps really sadly, you know, will have an accident or injure themselves in some way and wouldn't even be able to let out a cry.
0: Wow. Wow. That's yeah. And I can kind of tell how, how much this means to you and So you know, mm-hmm. thank you for sharing and, you know, open up as much or as little as you want with this stuff. And yeah, it's, That's incredible that you kind of, you got that, that first sound from that child. And again, just so I get my, my picture straight, this was in front of his peers, right? So you hadn't kind of like fully removed them and actually you were, you were doing it as like you're integrating them with the peers at the same time. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, that was just, I mean, now I, you know, have been, you know, through all the training and I'm much more Mm. experienced. So actually what we tend to start is a very different way now. So, um, there's lots of techniques, but usually you start with the child within their comfort zone. Okay. So at home, preferably, because that's where most children are most comfortable. Um, but it's all about playing games with parents. And then the first box to be able to tick is using your voice in front of someone before you can talk directly to them. Ah, I see a technique called the sliding in technique, which is where you would leave them playing a game. And then you're in the background initially uh, and then gradually you're coming closer. Um, so even if the child is feeling uncomfortable and it's new and they're quite nervous they're not in panic so their body is slightly more relaxed the muscles aren't tightening around their vocal cords and mm-hmm. they're playing games with a structure mm. so they're expressing thoughts opinions and feelings they're playing games with their parents and that's usually how we
0: nice out mm. and you just said something that 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 spot and again i get quite curious so if i take you down different rabbit holes we can go down there and we can come back out of them how much do you need to pay attention to the physical body language of a child? I assume that's quite a big thing. You, mm-hmm. So What's your thoughts on that? When you, you know, you talk about the the, the muscles tensing around the vocal cord, I, correct me if I'm wrong. Can you actually physically see that? Mm-hmm. Or do you, how does that manifest itself?
1: Yeah. So some of the children are perceived as being rude or disengaged or not interested in sort of being there, but what you're seeing is that freeze response. So even the muscles in the face, it, you know, when we first work with a child, they may be not making eye contact, looking at the ground, that kind of body response where, you know, hunched up a little bit. Um, and there's potentially like a lack of colour in their face. Wow. Mm. Then as we, you know, progress and there's progress there's a light back in the eyes, the muscles in the face just change and the body and the posture, you can see the anxiety melting away,
0: Amazing.
1: Um it is very visible physically um, yeah, 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 on their speech.
0: And how do you differentiate between, again, you might not know this, but I'm sure this might be part of your training, correct me if I'm wrong, but what if a kid is just genuinely rude? So I'm just going to go down that rabbit hole for a second because <laughs> I don't know, like there might just be, uh, it might not be selective mutism. Sure, so that, I just want sure. to bring it there for a second. Hey, what yeah. do you think on that?
1: Well, um, as I talk with uh, my husband, Phil, who happens to be a squash coach in you know, um, it's a case of playing it safe. So working out, maybe there's a high chance it could be anxiety, So Mm -hmm. if you play it safe and work with that child, treating it as if they're experiencing some level of anxiety. And as I said earlier, you know, fight, flight, freeze. Sometimes children are oppositional in their behavior and defiant because they are acting with anxiety. Mm -hmm. Um, They might flee a situation, um, look for excuses to leave the room. Um, And again, that could be a response to anxiety. So if you treat something as if it could be anxiety, Mm. then you're immediately hopefully going to be able to make that sort of early connection with a child um mm-hmm. then with all those things in place if they're still not responding um yeah there's other questions to be asked sure. at that
0: point. Mm, yeah and I, I know phil and i did have a brief chat about this because you know when we get on a call we try to share coaching philosophies we definitely don't do it enough and probably me a bit more guilty than him and he was talking about that how he's Viewing the world and and you know bring it back to sports you know because there's a lot of athletes and a lot of coaches that probably listen to this it's going yeah like how do you as that coach how did you say it um what did you say when I said like you almost like expect the anxiety or or you you, you yeah. play safe is that how you said it yeah
1: play it safe and just mm. you know kind of just assume that potentially especially in large groups of children mm. um, assume that potentially there could be somebody in there who is. Bringing some anxious mm. just to the- yeah, and and
0: just again on the coaching side again, possibly you know guilty of it. Hopefully not now. You know, becoming a mature coach and full similar. It's like yeah, like maybe the first instinct when you're a younger coach and you see that you go, oh, I've got this child and they're just gonna drag the group down and I'm just gonna mm. have to give them so much energy and it's just like actually, but that's my ego talking and actually there might be something wrong with not wrong that's the road but you know there, there's the anxiety issues there and again yeah. I, I'm just really glad we're having this conversation you know for anyone that might be with a group of kids or have an influence on a group of children to know that actually there might be some deeper rooted issues so I love that so play it safe so good little yeah, tag and, and
1: also you know it's
0: what was, I was saying
1: actually about um how we judge ourselves as coaches, yourselves as coaches, and what you're looking for that success criteria. Mm-hmm. And it's how much children maybe engage within a group environment. And if you're not seeing that engagement from a couple of children, maybe there's going to then be, right, I need to, I, and same in a classroom, if you're not seeing a child participating verbally, you, sometimes what will happen is they try and kind of encourage that. And if it's done in the wrong ways, what they're doing unfortunately is putting that child under more pressure
0: mm. and they're
1: going to experience that freeze response in you
0: know mm. a lot more let's um let's stay with that thread for just a second longer so for any maybe coaches or teachers that have this group of kids and and they're seeing possibly these signs and they're aware of this conversation we're having that it could be anxiety selective mutism do you have any tips or tools that Coaches can use as maybe like a little short-term band-aid on the problem before it maybe is I'm sorry if I'm using problem on the situation that then they might refer them to someone later. So almost like some quick tips, I think, is what I'm getting no. at.
1: Sure. I mean, ultimately we want children to feel comfortable enough to participate in the sports that they are wanting to be involved in. So a lot of things are just a small tweak of how they approach and how they make these connections. Um, Even children who have anxiety, so not specifically selective mutism, but are just turning up to um, a coaching session for the first time or a squad of some kind. If the coach, again, plays it safe and just has that assumption that there could be a child or several children who are feeling very anxious about trying something new, Mm -hmm. um, putting them at ease. So if they're arriving with a parent and you see that child sort of hiding behind mum a little bit or dad um, and not making eye contact, looking at the ground, instead of asking them questions, ask the questions through a parent. Mm. And then the child is going to feel a lot more secure um, about the environment he's going into. Maybe say to the child, I'm not gonna put you under any pressure. You don't have to answer any questions today. I'm not gonna ask you to demonstrate any skills, Mm -hmm. uh, practices, you know, come in for a free trial, observe what we're doing. Children with selective mutism and other anxieties Um, really worry about getting things wrong making mistakes and having that judgment Mm. they're very highly sensitive children who feel those on a much deeper and more intense level so just being able to watch and to see what's expected seeing what the coach is like what his personality or her personality is like Mm -hmm. seeing how they interact with the other children do they put people on the spot Do they, Mm -hmm. um, you know, make fun and lightheartedness? Do they model mistakes themselves? Mm. And then they're more likely to think, right, I can give this a go.
0: I like that. Mm. And
1: then just avoid asking children direct questions until you think that they are ready to answer. So running a commentary, I can see that you're doing this and I love how you're doing that. um, Or asking forced choice questions. A forced choice question is when you give two options. Okay. So a child who might be in that moment worried about saying the wrong thing, even if they know the answer, that anxiety kicks in Mm. and distracts them. Uh, They might freeze and tense up. But if you ask a choice question, then they think, oh, yeah, that was
0: what I was thinking about. Love it. That's some really, really good tips. You know, I love that idea of just getting them to be observers, you know, like almost building their own mental picture of what this looks like. And if it's not for them, great. At least they haven't thrown themselves in and embarrassed themselves and never turn up again because of an embarrassment factor. Maybe they don't go to that session just because it doesn't quite align with them. And that that's cool. That's good, isn't it? And that's some really, really powerful tips. I like that. And you know, interesting thing as a coach, we do get told that we should be asking a lot of questions. We want to tease the information <laughs> out of out of the kids rather than spoon feeding it to them. And I know there's a balance to be had there, but that's going to get me to think a little bit more along the lines of if I notice it, then it's like, right, actually running commentary, you know, just, yeah, that's really it, powerful. It's stuff. about
1: knowing the child uh, mm-hmm. and early days when you're first meeting a child, you're going to, um, you know, not put them on the spot until you know what they're capable of and what their comfort level is. And, you know, anxiety and fear in sport there's a there's a healthy balance and it's needed in places especially you know more into the sport you 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 get but Mm -hmm. those early days until you know the child and you've built that rapport up with them you know once you if if you build a good rapport you know what your child is capable of and the the amazing thing is coaches have such an amazing opportunity to make really good connections with children even Half an hour a week, my, my my daughters go swimming and they have an amazing instructor called Dave who I have seen the confidence in the girls outside of the swimming. Oh, I love because it. Because of the things he says, because of the language he uses and that he has such a great balance of playfulness whilst also teaching them how to swim and keeping them safe in the water. So it, they just love going to his sessions and
0: Brilliant. they love
1: swimming because of him. I think mm. another type of character perhaps... Would you know not have
0: given yeah. them so much? Amazing, and it is. It's it's um. There's a there's a great book. John O'Sullivan wrote a book called Every Moment Matters, and it's a coaching book. It's for coaches, and it and it is that it's it's similar to along the lines. You as a coach, we we we're, we're in a privileged position that you know the right conversation with the right child at the right time can can transform a life. You know, it, it's giving them the confidence to do it and and push them into those new areas. And it sounds like. Dave is doing an incredible job of it. And, you know, it's, 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 it's almost these soft skills that, that almost don't even get coached when you're getting your badges. It's like, yeah, here's all the kind of the awesome technique and how you really coach the sports, but do we need to coach the human more than the sport? You know, I think, I think we're on the same page with that. So yeah, it's a, it's a big, big thing that isn't it. So, um, I'm just going to go back a step. I think um, confident children. I want to talk a little bit more about that. So, you know, the company you work for sounds like you thoroughly love what you're doing. Um, how does it work? Like would a parent contact you? You have initial consultation with parents and how do you almost like link all this together? So okay. any thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, sure. So um, it's really uh, it, how it's identified is so important if it's identified early that the, the quicker the interventions can go in um the more likely a child is to overcome it in, in, in a quicker way so usually it will be parents who will go to school have a parent meeting consultation and the the, the teachers say oh you know and so is you know really very shy we would like to hear them speak more And the parents quite often are like, well, what do you mean? That does not describe my child. As I said earlier, that's quite a stark difference Mm. between how the child presents at home and what they're like in school. So it can come as a real shock to parents. Sometimes, sadly, this has been going on a few years before it's identified. And because of being labelled as perhaps shy or painfully shy, Mm -hmm. shy children tend to warm up. Um, it's a very common normal personality trait, um, but it doesn't impact to the extent on a person's life that um this specific anxiety disorder would have yep. so once the parents have been told that their child isn't um, talking or talking very little in school, obviously then they're on this you know crazy research mission to find out what is happening because unfortunately we are still not seeing, every school understanding what selective mutism is right. and, and how to identify it quickly. So then the parents may come across, um, through their research, confident children. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, so we will then have a consultation with the parents initially, um, we, we don't need to um, work with the children, certainly not initially anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, we can get such a great picture of how their child is, um, what the challenges are for their child just by talking to the parents. Um, and then following from there, we will have a, a meeting with the school if the school are open to that. And that's where we really hope to empower both parents Mm. and schools. So these puzzle pieces can sort of come together to really benefit the child. Mm. um, Everybody's sort of on the same page. Um, But our job is, first of all, trying to empower the parents to give them a greater understanding of what's happening with their child. Mm -hmm. The strategies that they can implement to see the progress Mm. It's about helping them, brief family members and their you know, other children and in, 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 um, other family members in the child's life.
0: Sure. Yeah. Incredible. And so even at a certain point, if you had situations where you've not even had to speak to the child, you've just empowered the support yeah. network around it. Yeah. So yeah. that that that's a real positive when that happens, isn't it?
1: Oh, it's it's brilliant. And when mm. I first meet parents there, you know, they are quite at a loss of how to help and Mm -hmm. then we have a follow-up a couple of months later and our team always say how amazing it is when you can start to see um you know that the 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 parents are able to help their children themselves um, and bring that hope into that family Mm -hmm. um so that's fantastic we also do work with um children directly um Mm -hmm. we can you know go into schools Mm -hmm. um and also online therapy as well. Mm. So that's where we would put our, you know, strategies mm. in place through the power of these, Zoom, mm. these yeah. Zoom calls.
0: I'm also just curious to unpack with you a little bit where you feel the most traction gets made, you know, and, and you can maybe give some specific examples of, you know, the school environment, the home environment, you know, when when you are working with those kids directly, could you just bring that to light for us?
1: Yeah, sure. So um, I think it's all about sort of all the pieces of the puzzle coming together. So all the areas of a child's life uh, and the people within, within that. So um, when we help parents understand you know, the kind of do's and don'ts of interacting with the child and they can they share, share that with extended family members, um, briefing, you know, grandparents on how to interact in a way that's going to put their child at ease um, mm-hmm. until they're comfortable, until they've warmed up. Um, but there's things that can, can be done before um, putting them under pressure to, I think as adults, we tend to, especially, you know, family members who might not have seen their children for a long time we want to know everything about oh
0: yeah yeah yeah.
1: it's a bit of an interrogation so we'd always say let the child just warm up don't put any pressure on them initially um run that commentary style kind of Mm. interaction and just let them have some fun um and model the mistakes and, and and be playful with them um and then in school um, once, uh, teachers are more understanding, they may well be able to say, look, I'm not going to put you on the spot to answer any questions. If you want to answer a question, pop your hand up. So we're not kind of assuming they're not going to, um, yeah. want to be involved in the lesson. Um, but also working with the peers as well,
0: mm. the thing
1: children with selective mutism fear them most, or one of the things is a big reaction from other people.
0: Okay.
1: so. The way this sort of usually starts is within a child who is predisposition to anxiety anyway, it's in the DNA.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And then there is some sort of trigger.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: We don't often know where that trigger comes from because the parents aren't usually there when it happens. Okay. Along the lines of a young child starting school, or going to nursery for the first time, and in a moment when they're feeling most vulnerable and afraid, there is some sort of expectation to talk. They take a gulp, the muscles tighten up, and the word gets stuck. And then the brain makes a connection. What was I doing when I felt that uncomfortable, that scared? I was responding to a question. I was trying to talk. Or maybe they said something wrong, mispronounced Mm. something, um, and then they feel embarrassed that it hasn't gone well. And again, Mm. negative association with talking. Yeah. Then Mm. that child might not speak for the rest of the day. Because it didn't go well and they're not going to try it again. If that day becomes days, weeks, months, they have been silent for so long. How do you just come out of silence if you're speaking? Mm. And they really fear if they did, everybody is going to go (gasps) and have a big response.
0: Yeah. Wow. Yeah. You're painting a great, great picture here. So Sorry to interrupt, but this is really, really kind of bringing it to light.
1: And then the child is then perhaps labelled as the child who doesn't talk at school. They take on that identity. Mm. I don't talk at school. And again, that label is really difficult to break out of. Mm. Um, and then you have things called maintaining factors, things that maintain the anxiety throughout the child's day, like a certain teacher who unintentionally says things like, are you going to talk to me today? Is this the day you're going to talk? Oh, and then nice. coming from a good place. But I explain it to schools as if imagine you had a fear of spiders, a fear that people can relate to. And every day you were going into a building where someone would greet you at the door. You're going to hold a spider today. Um, And you didn't know where that spider was going to be. So children are going into school with a phobia of talking and they have absolutely no idea at what point throughout their day they are going to be expected to talk. So it keeps them in a permanent state of heightened anxiety they're super vigilant on high alert um some children can talk to their friends
0: mm-hmm.
1: as long as there's nobody else in there you know another adult perhaps looking at them or paying any attention to them yeah but every child is very different in how they present but mm. in that situation the school might not see it as an issue because oh yeah they talk to their friends but obviously from say
0: something time, mm. you've
1: got to be able to talk and express yeah. how you're um, your, your needs and communicate your needs with adults in school as well. Mm. So, wow. circling back to your question.
0: Yeah, the, that's incredible. Thing, though, well, yeah, I love that. Mm. <laughs>
1: the, the thing that makes a big difference is when everybody understands those do's and don'ts, and asking children about talking is talking about something they're most afraid of. Mm-hmm. But on the flip side, if they say, Look, we know you find it hard talking in school, we're not going to put you under pressure. I'm not going to put you on the spot to answer questions. And I think as adults, we can all remember that feeling of being a child and the teacher saying, "I'm. you haven't said much today, I'm coming to you next. And you can spend most of your lesson not taking on the information because you are dreading answering a question in front of your peers, looking silly, maybe getting it wrong. And it can really prevent just how much you are taking on board.
0: Mm, wow. so having
1: that pressure removed from them is a starting point
0: yeah that's uh, again really really awesome work they're just unpacking that and i was i was kind of living through it with you (laughs) as you were going and it is it's that you know i i personally really love like neuroscience and you know like understanding what's happening in the brain with our Mm -hmm. thoughts and how we can paint our world with our thoughts and yeah you got to that but like you know once that first thing happens that first thing that they might be embarrassed about and then it just becomes that reinforced that neural pathway is just yeah. getting stronger and stronger yeah. and it's working more and more yeah. and more and more of...
1: negative association around talking
0: yeah wow wow that's oh. and and that's um you know linking it a little bit back to sport you know when when the the the, the amygdala when, when it's firing off It's, yeah, like, how do we quieten it down? You know, there's, you know, in the sporting thing, there's some physical stuff like, you know, mantras or breathing interventions or, you know, physical things that we can do. Like, oh, I feel the pressure of winning or losing this match, or I'm going to let my teammates out, whatever, whatever thing that is you know storming it and going off but obviously as a as an adult and maybe with a bit more rationality we can you know have these interventions to bring us back down you know you and yourself at confident children that's where you come in and you help the support network and you get that where yeah because maybe the younger child isn't able to rationalize it that well sometimes um and yeah, yeah. You look, we can talk mindfulness we can talk visualizations this is more sporting context now but yeah, sure. all of these are things that you know take the the kind of the amygdala that's pulsing away mm-hmm. from that and more towards the hippocampus more towards the rational thinking prefrontal cortex side yeah, of the brain that's the one. <laughs> i love that stuff and um again if we just stay down a bit of you, you might not know this but so hopefully i'm not putting you on the spot with this but um when you say obviously it freezes up the vocal cords oh. and there's that physical sensation what do you understand like what's happening in the brain to send those signals to the physical side or any just thoughts on that do you you know what's actually happening there again negative association is probably one but what's Mm. your thoughts on that
1: it's it's like having a really bad case of stage fright that's probably the best way for um people to relate to it Mm -hmm. so that 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 everything all the muscles are just tensing up and i think it's with the the anxiety when you're in panic the heart rate is going so fast you might be sweaty Mm. and um, yeah, your 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 body is just going into, unfortunately, a survival mode. But the freeze response,
0: yeah, yeah, that kicks in. And um, on 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 one of the notes you sent in before we started recording, which I just want to maybe talk about real briefly now, is that perfectionist personality uh, that yeah. like for me that's a real interesting one because again yeah. i'll link it to sport you bring it back to children we talk about and we kind of synergize here but yeah a lot of you know high level athletes and sport people have a perfectionist mindset and that can can become a real driving force mm. but when it hijacks the brain and it kind of it, it doesn't work in the right way so um perfectionism linked to selective mutism thoughts
1: Yeah. So a lot of the consultations I have with parents, it tends to come up as quite a common trait, that -hmm. perfectionist fear of making mistakes, very high expectations on themselves. Um, So when it comes to sport, imagine a child starting something for the first time where they don't really know what's expected of them. Uh, And it's very hard to kind of learn a skill in the moment. They much prefer, to, as I said earlier, to watch what's going on, work out, can I do that? Or go away, play it with friends mm-hmm. or with family, see if they can pick up that skill because they don't wanna look silly in front of a group. So um, yeah, perfectionism is is very much a personality mm-hmm. trait within yeah. children with selective mutism. Mm-hmm. Um, and that self-doubt, uh, as I said, even if they know the answers, the the doubt kicks in mm. and it can just prevent them from
0: mm.
1: answering.
0: Yeah. Again, with the help of someone like yourself and the support network around the child, hopefully they can see that actually, yeah, we 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 don't you know we don't hopefully not need to fear it but they, we can start to rationalize it a little bit more. So yeah. Yeah. absolutely.
1: Fun. And coaches are again in a position where they can help manage a child's expectations.
0: Mm. You know,
1: some child, some children don't want to start a sport unless they're convinced that they're going to be able to do it. Well, there's a whole <laughs> process involved in acquiring a skill. Um, but it, that, that, that fear, cause they're not, they're not risk takers. Yep. So that fear of failure Really kicks in. Mm. Um, so it's breaking the key to working with children, um, uh, especially with selective mutism, but other children as well, is everything in small steps. Mm-hmm. You know, what is that achievable next step? Uh, rather than focusing on goals that are really out of their reach at that point, mm-hmm. um, breaking everything down into small steps.
0: Nice, nice. Have you ever had an example? and I'm just kind of thinking of the top of my head here, where you work with a child and parents support network. You've seen the progress, you've seen the positive side. Great, we're, we're we're cracking on. But then there's regression. There's like like a fall back into it. So does that happen? Is that common or not so common? What, what thoughts on that? Yeah,
1: yeah regression is, um, yeah, is very common, um, especially in schools. If we're looking there, um, every time there's a new you know year group change, um, new teachers. Um, So, again, it's working with the school so that the right transitions happen um, before the end of that school year where the child can um, hopefully develop a rapport with their new teacher. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, long periods of summer holidays and things like that, you can see regression. Um, And, yeah, once children have this fear of talking, once you are making huge progress in overcoming that fear, Mm -hmm. they they don't want to go back. So as long as you've got, uh, you're have got, you going at their pace, as long mm-hmm. as you're setting, as I said earlier about these small steps and the goals aren't too far out of their reach, um, then you're not going to see huge amounts of regression if the people around are understanding of what it is they can do to help.
0: Yeah. Totally. But it can happen. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, again, this is great for me to kind of understand this as well as, as like a complete amateur in regards to because don't want to be too blunt, but obviously when I kind of, oh yeah, like, right, the, the child is talking and they're expressing themselves mm-hmm. and you want to think, well, like there it is, we're, we're, we're good to go. But yes, like you you kind of mentioned the regression and that links yeah. me very nicely onto my next question, which, you know, you started 2019, we all know what happened in 2020, COVID hit us and everything just got disrupted massively. As you know, and as you kind of sent me a note that we still don't really know the kind of like the the impact of this down the line. But, you know, COVID, selective mutism, what what, what happened in your work environment with that?
1: Yeah, sure. Well, we have seen a massive increase um, because, you know, during that time, Children, you know, particularly the younger ones um, of that age group who were born during COVID times and, and held back from going to places, being out in public, coming across strangers in supermarkets, um, seeing family members. So they're at home during that time in their comfort zone, purely with their, you know, in completely in their comfort zone, not taking steps out of it at all um completely out of of their control Uh, and then they're expected to go to school and they're having to perhaps start sports clubs and children are with selective mutism do have a fear of new people because they as i said earlier they don't know what to expect they benefit from seeing the personality um, come out before they can think, right, I'm going to be happy to be in this person's care. But, Mm. you know, during COVID, once everybody was sort of going back to school, adults were masked and we couldn't have the normal settling in period that you would do for a child starting nursery, for example, where parents can go in, spend certain amount of part of the day with them and then start gradually Mm. leaving them. Um, It was a case of, Quite a lot of children were being dropped off at the gate to, to completely new people, masked, mm. um, wow. and really, Scary. Tough.
0: yeah, mm, yeah, yeah. So, um, and and I assume you were working online during COVID with yes. families, and yeah. So, yeah. so again, you know, and maybe a slight positive, you could you could access people in their home environment, and you know, actually help work with that quite a lot, weren't you?
1: Yes, a lot of uh, you know, the consultations, you know, became all on Zoom, um. And yeah, the 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 company were able to reach. You know, we work with children all around the world because of Zoom. Um, wow. mm. Families, yeah, yeah. Between mm. us as a as a team of, of therapists, yeah, we 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 reach so many
0: different That's places brilliant. Yeah. from the
1: comforts of our home, which is mm. really fantastic.
0: Was was that the case before COVID as well? Were you an international, or did it accelerate a little bit more during COVID?
1: Yeah so um for me personally I wasn't sort of I was working in a school during that time so mm-hmm. I was sort of dipping my toes in here um but for Lucy Nathanson who founded confident children she was working internationally um she had set up the company I think it's about 10 years ago now mm-hmm. and it was just her for quite a long time Incredible. um the, it, this is so much more common than people realize mm-hmm. uh, it's one in 140 children have a diagnosis in the UK of selective mm-hmm. mutism Um, And that's with a diagnosis. So many more children, um, because of the reasons we've said, um, wouldn't, they wouldn't know, um, Mm. wouldn't get a diagnosis.
0: Yeah. And um, let's touch on this briefly, because that does feel like it might need a deeper conversation. But ASC, autism, how does this all interweave a little bit? Does it all? Or how, how can you kind of connect the dots there for me, please?
1: Yeah. So this is, quite a lot of children might get uh, misdiagnosed because um, they might see the lack of eye contact, withdraw from social interactions and think autism spectrum disorder,
0: mm-hmm. but
1: um, the two can comorbidly exist. Um, but there are quite a lot of situations where a child would be misdiagnosed with autism. Mm. Autism is everywhere. You are autistic at home and Mm. in other situations and in other environments. You might see the behaviours slightly less at home because, again, you're within your comfort zone and you know your routines and things are in place. Um, But with selective mutism, it's quite easy to diagnose because it's this stark difference. What is my child like at home? versus what they're like in other situations when the anxiety takes hold. So mm. big personalities at home quite a lot of the time. And this really um yeah, yeah. obvious change in your child in other situations.
0: Mm.
1: But they they can morbidly exist. Mm
0: um and yeah listen like don't don't know how much of down this we want to go necessarily but any examples from you personally of of some success stories some 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 feel good factors of this, the the positive impact you've had directly on children and families and support network
1: yeah well as a team we have the best job because we can share you know our success stories and there are many of them we help so many children overcome selective mutism and it's really lovely to be able to give that kind of you know feedback to children that this can get easier and you can overcome this um with the right support so yeah loads of lovely stories um and and i think for me is when you unlock that personality so uh, especially for the older children we work with teens as well now Mm, okay uh, working with quite a lot of teenagers and that fear has been there that fear has been entrenched embedded for a long time mm. and they have missed out on so many amazing experiences so many skills um socializing with friends and uh and and the confidence that comes comes through social interaction so um when you work with someone who you then help them talk to their friend for the first mm. time help them talk to a grandparent for the very first time wow um, it's it's an emotional it's yeah. emotional stuff um being able to up their hand and answer a question being able to give a presentation I've worked with children who once you've unlocked that fear um, and they're not in that silent trapped in their silence anymore they're on a stage performing they've been a performer they know they are Mm. but they are completely trapped uh, and don't understand what it is that's stopping them being the person they want to be once you help them overcome that and you see them on a stage singing in front of you know large audiences you're Mm -hmm. Its just fantastic. or you know, the children I've worked with who, um, like I said earlier, linking it to sport, who are suddenly playing sports and going for trials and and they wouldn't have been able to get to that point, or just generally just loving life so much more.
0: love it. Yeah. but
1: I think for me, the the most emotional situation I'm thinking of is uh, a child who just adored her grandparents. Uh, they had heard her speak a lot through voice notes but okay. never directly interacted with her grandparents um and time was ticking because the grandparents um sadly uh, one of them particularly was in, in had ill health um and through online therapy um she was able to talk oh. to her grandparents and i get messages and videos sent from family members saying look what they're doing now and um yeah I never know what's coming, and it's it's an amazing job to have that uh, feedback from parents behind the scenes and, as I said earlier, being able to empower parents to to, to take that on as well.
0: Yeah. Oh, well, th- thank you for sharing that lovely story about the, the uh, kind of voice notes and then transitioning to actual conversation. That's, that's beautiful. And listen, um, Laura, fly that flag. Hi, you are doing an <laughs> incredible, but confidential. And it sounds like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm really thoroughly glad that we could have this conversation. I've learned a lot. I'm going to be definitely looking at things in a slightly different way as well, even, even with my son and, you know, like just the way it kind of, yeah, like, you know, I don't, I'm not don't tell him this but not like just just get on with it like I'm not quite good like that but like a version of that sometimes I can tip into you know like there's no no reason to be scared of that come on just get on with it and I think it's yeah not not a healthy thing yeah
1: but the better way there is to validate I can see this is tough for you I can see that you're feeling a bit afraid of doing something this is normal Mm -hmm. and and and, you know really trying to meet them where they're at and seeing Mm -hmm. what that next step is.
0: Love it. Love it. So, um, listen, we've unpacked a lot and talked a lot today, but is there anything that maybe I haven't talked about or something that you might want to just, you know, as a bit of a final message. And even if it's a little summary of things, um, just want to give you a platform right now. If yeah. there, there anything that we've not touched on or you want to just make a few final really good points on things?
1: I mean, it's just the opportunity, Jesse, uh, through this to raise awareness. As I said, it's a lot more common than people realize. Uh, and, it doesn't take a lot of extra work, just a few tweaks. It's not going to help them overcome it. There's no quick fix, but Mm -hmm. we can certainly help put children at ease. Um, And anxiety is something that we are realising is on the increase. So obviously we are supporting children with selective mutism, so it's a very specific type of anxiety. Mm -hmm. But some of the strategies, or a lot of the strategies we've sort of talked about today help create these, more uh, anxiety friendly environments.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: whether it's sports and clubs or in, in schools, um, we need to be more anxiety friendly. Uh, and then we'll get so much more out of of children.
0: Brilliant. Listen, really, really well said. And I always like to finish off these podcasts with some signposts. I know we've mentioned confident children a lot. Could you just give a few, again, if you want to name the website, if you mm. want to, you know, anyone listening that I actually, I won't really want to do this. I'll put this in the show notes also, but if you want you. to just give a shout out for any of the social media, the websites, any of those things? Yeah.
1: So um, confidentchildren.co.uk um, is a wealth of information. And Lucy Natherson has a YouTube channel as well, full of helpful videos, um, that can be shared with families if a parent comes across selective mutism and thinks, how do I explain this to a family and help my child uh, understand what they're going through? Um, and also uh, SMIRA, um, it's the Selective Mutism Information and Research Association. So that's the UK governing body and charity. Um, there's also a Facebook page um, supporting families, a forum on there um but yeah um that's probably where i would start
0: <laughs> perfect amazing well listen laura rushworth this has been an incredible chat i've thoroughly enjoyed it. i can't wait to get it out on the platforms and for more people to hear this um listen i'm sure you're gonna have a thank fantastic day week month year all of that stuff with all oh, that oh i do work. in
1: this role thank you yes
0: <laughs> good work
1: cheers jesse thank you so
0: much hey before you go laura kindly wanted to add these final few powerful messages to the podcast for the listeners There are a few very important messages for parents and coaches to hear, and I'm grateful she reached back out to make these final points to the discussion of selective mutism.
1: I just wanted to stress the importance of early intervention for children with selective mutism. If intervention can happen early, then the child is more likely to overcome their fear of talking. However, if it is left, and there's a wait and see approach, then the likelihood is that it becomes an entrenched fear and can go on into adolescence and into adulthood. Most people can relate to having a fear of something, um, but imagine having a fear of talking and communication uh, and the impact that that would have uh, on a person's life. And then the impact this may have on a person's mental health becomes a much greater concern Parents are absolutely desperate for there to be a greater understanding and awareness of selective mutism because if identified early and a small steps plan put in place, the intervention really does make a difference to the child's life.